I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. The, the combat, like, I stopped playing it because I got a Switch and been playing Animal Crossing, which is like having a, a warm cup of tea and your favorite cookies and also having a hug from a friend all rolled up into <laughs> one delightful package. Um, okay, so I've been, I only know anything about Animal Crossing as a meme that pops up on social media, but what is Animal Crossing? Okay, so traditionally what Animal Crossing is, is... A raccoon offers you money to build a house and live somewhere in the wilderness. <laughs> so basically what Animal Crossing is, is your character. Um, uh, so every you get this randomly generated landmass in New Horizons, which is the Switch version. It's an island. And uh, you are in charge of upkeep of the island. So you have uh, everybody has a native fruit and flowers and then you've got other things you can do and it's basically you make your island look the way you want you get people to move to it um you can catch bugs and fish and find fossils there's a museum it is the coolest thing and the best thing about it in the quar is that you can go and visit your friends islands so, like, the other day, we had a birthday party for one of my friends on her island. We couldn't be together, actually, but we went and hung out on her island together. And we you can, um, you can download the Nintendo Switch app, and you can link it to your Animal Crossing game so that when you're on somebody's island, if they also have the app, you can voice chat over it. Oh. And it's, it's just, it's like... The reason it is blown up, like it took me, it took me and two of my friends two weeks to find a switch to buy because price gougers are buying them all up as soon as they appear online or in stores mm-hmm. and marking them up 150%, 200% online, which sucks and is shitty. But um, a friend of mine found one for me. I went and picked it up. Next day, I got Animal Crossing and. I think the reason it's blown up is because it, it it has this very social aspect to it. And like, so I wake up in the morning, I shake all my trees, get the fruit, I find the fossils, I do a little upkeep here and there, and then I go and play something else for a little while. And then I go in and, you know, I'll do something else. I'll, I'll hunt bugs or I'll do, you know, I'll go fishing to try and catch, there's all kinds of fish. And the cool thing about it is that when you catch a new bug or you catch a new fish or you find a new fossil, you can go to this, your museum that's on your island and it's, it's awesome. You can see the fish you donated swimming around and you can see the bugs living in this little, you know, like a little, um, bug exhibit. You can go and check out the fossils. Like it is an incredibly thoughtfully designed game with all these cool little features and you can see your villagers every day and they talk to you and they'll give you gifts and you can give them gifts. It's just, it is wholesomeness as a game. And 
the raccoon, whose name is Tom Nook, you know, he lends you money for a tent and stuff, and then the the initial getaway package is what he calls it, and then you upgrade to a house, and then you add a room, you get a bigger house, and then you... And he gives you 0% loans, so he's not a dyed-in-the-wool capitalist. <laughs> oh, but, so, so it is It is a better world than the one we live in. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. And you make, like, um, one of the ways you can make a lot of money is tarantula hunting, because tarantulas sell for, like, 8,000 bells, which is the in-game currency. So I did that last night, ended up with, like, 230,000 be- bells. So, like... Getting money is, they make it fairly easy. You can, um... Again, so not like, like real life. Exactly, exactly. It's like... Upward the, mobility the, has to exist in a fantasy world. <laughs> yeah, right? That's what I was just saying. You know, it's funny because I always think that. But it's because it, the money is just another mechanic to be able to have a home where you decorate with stuff. And just make it look pretty. Like, I, I advise both of you, if you have a few minutes, go online and look at some of the people, look at the islands that some people have made, look for five-star islands. They're insane. Hundreds of hours. People yeah, will just play I, this for hours and hours and hours. I do like a good project. And that was one of the things that I get out of a lot of the big games, whether it's Skyrim or Fallout 4 or Red Dead Redemption 2, is that you feel like you're building on something for hours and hours and hours and customizing it to the way you want it. And uh, I love things like that. And I can imagine that this is a much less stressful version of almost any game. And I can imagine now being able to build something and kind of enjoy it and the relaxing experience of it is just and having something just be nice yes just sounds like the fact that you're not eventually getting evicted by this raccoon yeah right like when Um, you you'll gather up almost everything available on your island you can sell and when you go in to sell it um they say they always say, look at all the fine things you've brought us. It's like, I brought you 99 bags of weeds and some twigs. They don't care. They're like, look at all these fine things you brought for us today. It's like, the, everybody is always happy to see you. And your villagers will come running up to you and be like, hey, I got this thing for you. Isn't it great? Look at this. Everything's great here. I'm going to go walk by the lake. I'll see you later. It's like, it is wholesomeness distilled down into a video game. I actually have something kind of similar that I have learned to really love. And I wouldn't say I discovered it. It was introduced to me by Piper. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Ardman. They are the stop motion animation studio that does Wallace and Gromit. And um, I have just discovered the joy that is Sean the Sheep. (laughs) (laughs) I did not know that this thing existed. I mean, I maybe I've been vaguely aware of seeing it in passing, but that show is a fucking delight. Um, if you're not familiar with it, it's about a mischievous little sheep named Sean who is part of a flock on a small English farm who gets up into all sorts of hijinks under the nose of a well-meaning but a little bit 
doofy uh, farmer who who runs the farm. And the weird kind of adventures they get up to, there's one of them where because the farmer's glasses have big scratches in them, he can't see anything. So they can just blatantly act as intelligent and human-like as they do because he can't see them. So they're having like pool parties in the yard and stuff. Uh, and the, the dog who both talks to the sheep and to the, uh, the farmer orders him a new pair of glasses. And it's all about the sheep trying to, uh, delay the delivery of the glasses (laughs) by setting up these obstacles for the UPS lady, basically. And it's, it's such a fucking delight. There's an episode where, uh, they make a pizza and it becomes this elaborate sort of Rube Goldberg situation. And there's one where the farmer buys these really fancy, expensive, shiny, like blinding white sneakers and without <laughs> realizing it goes outside to do his farm work and the dog notices. And it's all about all of the animals sort of coming together to help him unknowingly step into a mud puddle on his brand new shoes. <laughs> And it's just this, it's, there are references to everything from like cop shows to 2001 A Space Odyssey. I mean, it's a show aimed at very young children, but there's stuff in there for adults because it is just so beautifully written and animated. Um, One thing I really love is there's no spoken words in it. You just hit the sheep will bleat and they'll sound like meh, meh. Um, the dog will do the same sort of, and the, even the farmer just kind of does this, because it's from the sheep's point of view. And if you ever see like a magazine or writing on something, it's these weird pictograms because the sheep can't read it (laughs) on everything. It's just a, just beautiful little world building. And it's some of the most fun stuff I've watched. The episodes are only like 15 minutes a piece, and there's two episodes in each one of those little 15-minute blocks. So that's basically like five to eight minutes long. And they're just beautiful, little, encapsulated, wholesome, just cute, just fucking delightful little animated be- uh, pieces of claymation. And I I just loved it, and I wish and I wish I could find more. So there's a season of there's a whole season of it on Netflix right now, and I think they've got a couple movies on there too. And if you haven't seen it, the Wallace and Gromit movie, uh, Curse of the Were Rabbit, is a fucking <laughs> masterpiece. It's, it's the Curse of the Were Rabbit is probably one of my favorite movies. I'd say it's probably in my top fifty movies of all time, and it's just because of how fucking talented Nick Park and Ardman is at visual storytelling and gags. The gags yeah. are and not not in the gags in sort of a post South Park post, you know, family guy way of how animation does gags where they have some joke that they that's a reference or it's belabored or something, but just like vaudeville style, just utterly ridiculous slapstick scenarios. And it is so hilarious. It's great. Oh, it's, it's wonderful. It'll put you in a better mood. And I think that's kind of, cause that's kind of where I'm, I'm at as far as uh, consumption of media right now is I want stuff where good guys win. And I want, I want something that'll make me feel better. I guess, I, honestly, things are kind of stressful right now, and it's kind of nice to take a break from that once in a while, because if I wanted to be depressed, I'll watch the news. Yeah. 
you, you know, it's, um, it, uh, it, you're absolutely right. And uh, the thing I, re- I've, and I do watch the news, but I need to take a right. break from it every so often because I, that's there's kind of a oh Jesus. <laughs> so yes, do be an. I don't want to say like don't watch the news; it's depressing. You should watch the news, but don't just watch the news, or you'll want to put a gun in your mouth. <laughs> so since uh, you, here, here, you guess, I I have taken it uh, this the same tack, but I discovered going back and watching. Um, uh, Charles Bronson movies that are not in the Death Wish in the Death Wish chain and 1974's Mr. Majestic. Have either of you guys seen this movie? I no. am not. Okay, so this is Richard Fleischer, as both of you should remember. He directed the second Conan movie and uh, mm. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and Red Sonja. Um, and oh, so God. this, it's Charles Bronson in that peak sort of in that that area of his life when i guess he's probably in his early 50s i would say in the uh in the mid 70s and it's a, almost it's a similar to the death wishes is this all the plot is is there's some guy going about his business and then assholes need to come fuck with him but the setup is so fantastic he plays vince majestic he is a watermelon farmer and he is set upon by goons hired by rival farmers that want to destroy his business right around the time that he needs to get his watermelons loaded um, and into market. And so he has to kick some ass. Um, And the whole thing culminates in what I think is, I think if this isn't on YouTube, I I should just rip, just just rip it and put it on there where the goons are trying to fuck with the, uh, trying to fuck with him. They They get him thrown into jail on false pretenses and he's able to get his, get his bail and get his way out. And uh, they go to his house all of the watermelons are in a shed, and so three goons with automatic rifles destroy his watermelons with high-powered submachine guns. Oh my god! And it is a, the satisfied looks on their faces of of just like movie villains destroying a a shed full of watermelons. But I mean, let's be honest: if you were a goon, <laughs> is there ever a job you would enjoy more than getting to blow away? watermelons with high-powered weapons because that would be fucking fun they're all like wow this is a lot better than murdering people (laughs) it's it's pretty amazing you all punisher gallagher on that shit but i mean (laughs) i would i would enjoy that because what else would you want to do uh i mean i'm i don't even like watermelon that much oh but heretic yeah i am not a watermelon fan oh man yeah, not a, not a fan either. But if I had an opportunity to unload an Uzi in the direction of a bunch of watermelons, I couldn't turn it down. <laughs> that sounds like it's the same thing with if you got a giant roll of bubble wrap, you know, the industrial bubble wrap, and I could just drive my car over it. <laughs> that would just be satisfying. Yeah, that's that's entirely fair. Of course, now I'm just thinking about. Uh, we hate movies doing their Charles Bronson impression and their Gallagher impression. <laughs> you son of a bitch! I can I can hey, shoot watermelons, Mark. Watermelons. Uh, Charles Bronson is Gallagher. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch! I'm gonna smash your watermelons now. Hey, those what I love those is my watermelons. That, that the accent they do for. Um, for for Charles Bronson and it's actually Charles Bronson's actual accent <laughs> reminds yeah, yeah, me of a Simpsons character. Yes, yes. absolutely. Yep. 
It's like, ooh, it's a guy who sold uh, Homer Simpson. I think it was like a mall. It's like, ooh, this this one's from Sorty or Magnavox. <laughs> Sorty. It's yeah, got yeah. Uh, plastic to uh, keep it from fall apart. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's that kind of, it's definitely that kind of New Yorker voice. Um, yeah, what you gonna do? Um, it's, I think it's the Midwest. It's Chicago. I think he's it's doing Chicago, Chicago, that's right. It's the Chicago accent. Um, I do want to say that is the other thing that has been keeping my spirits buoyed is if you're not listening to We Hate Movies and you like movies and you like funny people, not to plug another podcast while I'm on a podcast, listen to all of this podcast too, because this is a great podcast, but listen to We Hate Movies because they're fantastic. Oh, they're and spectacular. They, they are doing all of Melrose, Melrose Place and all of... Um, Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills 90210. 90210. Yeah. And yeah. I am re-watching Beverly Hills 90210. <laughs> and by re-watching it, I mean watching it for the first time and actually paying attention to what's going on and not just seeing the last five minutes while I wait for the show that came on after it. So tell me, um, how, how, how is it? How is it, Joe? Because I've never seen a single episode of Beverly Hills 90210. Oh my oh. God, it is. If you could take the 90s and just like put it in a coffee grinder, grind it up and brew a cup. What what you would drink would be Beverly Hills 90210. It is just I don't think I'd like that. <laughs> it's it's just it is so 90s. It is so oh, California is great and Calif it's always sunny and like it's it's um it is there's a lot of those like lesson episode of the week, um, and you're reminded constantly that Jason Priestley's character is kind of intolerable. <laughs> yes, um, he absolutely. There's is. a there's a little bit of after school special mixed in with aren't these people cool? There's sort of cautionary tales and teen soap opera and Luke Perry being awesome. And so uh, I always took it to be a, that guy was a like step up the from epitome of cool. At that I always time. took it to be like a Dylan. step up from uh, Saved by the Bell. Right, is that if once oh you, god, it's it's better than Save by the you, Bell. Save by the Bell was of Beverly Hills nine oh two and oh written by a bunch of sixty year old men who used to work in Fonville. <laughs> how Mike, how dare you speak of Save by the Bell that way? <laughs> oh, it's Save by the Bell is not good. Uh, yet I will say this. Uh, I can't not watch an episode to completion if I come in on it while changing channels. I have I'm, to watch it if it if I pass it, um, and you know you're watching that sub genre of television. I had a coworker back in the day who referred to that sort of Saturday morning live action cheesy teen soap opera as teen exploitation, and you know you're watching it if two characters kiss and the studio audience goes. Ooh. Well, I think yeah, that but I think that's why Saved by the Bell is a better show because it's a sitcom. Beverly Hills 90210 was definitely more of that teen drama, and it's very self-serious, and mm-hmm. I Saved by the Bell very rarely is, and you know that because Zach Morris can control the fucking flow of time. Yeah, and like, he's a sociopath, and the show doesn't is, seem to know he's a sociopath. He is a sociopath, but the thing is, is that teenagers are generally fucking sociopathic. But it's, I, it's like I keep imagining that that Zach Morris grows up into the DiCaprio character in Wolf of Wall Street. I mean, that's a guy I, you don't want to have to have the power to freeze time. 
<laughs> no, it's not. Fortunately, he could only do it as a teenager. Yes, thank God. It's like reverse mutancy from the X-Men. Right? It stops when you become an adult. But uh, the thing with Beverly Hills 90210 is that it was never a show that I was the driving force towards watching it. It was one of my sister's favorite shows when I was like 12 or 13. So I would end up seeing a lot of it. And I have a weird affection for it. Uh, but the thing that I always remember is there's like a season two episode where, because Brian Austin Green's character doesn't start out as part of the gang. He's like a no. freshman kind of undergrad nerd who's kind of under the radar of all of these people. It's kind of in a, oh, hey guys, me too sort of way. Uh, I want to I tag along. Um, and he's got this even nerdier friend. Uh, that kind of disappears for the show for the most part, then pops up in an episode where they're at a party. And uh, that friend goes through, I think it's his dad's desk drawer, and finds a gun Uh, uh, and accidentally shoots himself while twirling it around on his index finger. (laughs) And I remember that scene so clearly. Um, of you, of you, you know, you know, if you find a gun, kids, don't do this with it. Don't be RoboCop. <laughs> and uh, it's just, it was, it's the one of those like after school special moments that I have such a sharp picture of in my head. That kid with his like doofy baseball cap that always has the top flipped up, like he's a cartoon character. And going, oh, hey, hey, Brian Austin Green, check this out. <laughs> and then him twirling it, and then it cuts to Brian Austin Green's face as there's a blam. And, oh, it's a very it's a very special episode. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I don't know about you, but I've always had a certain affection for very special episodes of sitcoms where it feels like the writers really want to try something, especially if the thing opens with the actors not being the actors, but, you know, they're just, they're their real selves rather than their characters, uh, addressing the audience directly about what they're about to watch, and that this is serious stuff. Uh, Because in a lot of them, especially sitcoms, they still have occasional moments of really uncomfortable laughter from the studio audience. (laughs) The the probably the most um probably the most um notorious one of these is uh the episode of different strokes with the bike shop owner. Oh crap. I yeah, totally so you know what I'm talking about. You'll have to explain I this do. to me, Mike. I don't know I don't know what that one is. Okay, so the, the pedophile episode. Oh. Yep, it was the bad touch episode. Oh. It's really, really uncomfortable um, because there's like a bike shop owner who's like, oh, hey, kids, come to my back room with all my video games. And oh, did I leave a porno magazine there in here? I want to take pictures of you boys with your shirts off. And uh, it's really uncomfortable, but it's even more uncomfortable because there's moments where they have gag little jokes and one-liners sort of split throughout. So the audience doesn't fully understand. Maybe that's just the execution. But the audience is also kind of stupid because they came there to watch an episode of Different Strokes. So there are moments where they laugh out of uncomfortableness rather than out out of humor. And it's really deeply uncomfortable when those moments happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're very, very ra- rarely handled well. But that's, you know, what happens when you workshop, like, a very special episode. 
Yeah, because, I mean, it's like Full House or something. You don't go to Full House for serious drama. And, yeah, maybe every so often the directors or producers or even the actors want to try something serious. But it's not always done well that can you get serious in a comedy that is mostly, like, like pancake fluffy light and not serious and doesn't really focus that much on on hard character moments anyways. And that's a hard thing to do. I mean, there are episodes of Cheers that I think handle this way better than any sitcom I've seen where they can go kind of dead serious for a moment and do something dramatic, but they still know how to space out the jokes that they do happen in the episode, but not during the parts that you're supposed to feel like, Oh, my heart's supposed to be in my throat, but he just spat out a one liner, you know, and it's, it's a difficult balance to do. And most people fail when they try, you know, it's, it's not a sitcom, but I'm just trying to think of the last time that I saw uh, a comedy that was explicitly a comedy that also I think worked well on a serious level. And, um, the Kumail Nanjiani uh, movie, The Big Sick. Um, did mm. did either of you see The Big Sick? I, I did not. haven't. Kirby saw it and really liked it. I just live in a continually continual state of forgetting the things I want to experience. Sure. <laughs> so I have not yet seen it. So The Big Sick is fantastic because it's the it's uh, it's the one rare gem of a movie where. Um, or a TV show where one of the characters is a stand-up comedian and you believe that they, you think that the things they're saying are funny when they're being funny. Um, and the audience, the audience in the movie believes that they're funny in a, in a predictable way. Um, Cause that never happens. Like the marvelous Miss Maisel is a, is a, uh, is a prime example of this or the entire cast of studio 60 on the sunset strip, where it's just like, these people are supposed to be funny, yet nothing they're doing or saying is even remotely funny. Um, and, right. and Big Sick, it's about Kumail Nanjani's, it's a it's semi-autobiographical, it's about meeting his future wife um, and her having a mysterious illness in the middle of their relationship. And it it is funny, and it is touching, and it is uh, very emotional. And to, to say nothing of the fact that you add in Ray Romano, who's doing... Who, in my in my estimation, he's totally redeemed himself for years and years of just the most like basic and forgettable and just like worthless, Mundane. yeah, sitcom garbage. He is amazing. Yeah. Him and Holly Hunter are like amazing in this movie, um, and it's uh, you know it 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 works both as sort of a relationship movie and like a a big serious drama, and it also happens to be like extremely funny. Um, and like it very, very rarely does it happen when, um, you can ride that line, but also it's just like, it's, it's, it makes you wonder why Kumail Nanjani does that and then moves on and then does like Marvel movie. Cause you could do so, you could, he could do so much more than getting cheese, cheese, greater abs and playing some character in a Marvel movie. Maybe that's, maybe you just want to cash in. I don't know. I have no fucking idea. I don't know, but I'm just going to say that uh, Camille Nanjiani is not someone that I envision ever getting jacked. (laughs) And it's weird (laughs) to see him get ripped because of the sorts of characters that he tends to play. It's like finding out that Martin Freeman is jacked and it's just, (laughs) it doesn't feel right. Or Paul Rudd is jacked. (laughs) Yeah. That's still weird. I don't, you know, it's, 
it's uh, or it's like if a really jacked uh, Rain Wilson would be really weird. <laughs> I will say I just, um, that I think you do you do cash out because then you can make more of those movies because you've got sure. you know famous clout and being in a Marvel movie that's kind of it that means you've kind of scored. And he'll be able to, you know, I think that'll give him the ability to do more of what he wants to do. Um, also, Marvel movies aren't bad. I yeah, I like a lot of true. Marvel movies. And I think some of them have very effectively done serious dramatic moments and had jokes in it. I think that Guardians 2 is a great um, oh, superhero God. movie. I yeah. really do. Yeah. And it's got some tearjerker moments and it's also funny. And it knows when to drop the jokes and be serious for a little while. And uh, um, I'm sorry, Mike, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I really think that um, Guardians 2, in, in every measurable way, is better than Guardians 1. I think that it is a movie that talks about Thanos a lot, but does not talk about the overarching Infinity Gauntlet plot. And I yeah. think that's kind of awesome. It talks about what his role in the story is to these people in the theme of shitty dads to all of these characters. Thanos is sort of this shitty dad that sort of hangs over the movie, but it's not important that he's trying to wipe out all half, half of the life in the universe at this moment. You just need to know he's a shitty dad. A shitty dad, yeah. <laughs> um... In that theme of funny things that had unexpected emotional impact, I watched Onward recently because oh, yeah. Disney put that up on Disney Plus. Yeah, and how was it? I watched it out of obligation to Pixar. I'm going to be perfectly honest here. Since Up, I have not found a lot of Pixar movies to be good. I did not think um, Inside Out was great. I think a lot of the I haven't seen Toy Story two or, th or three or four, although I've heard that both of those are really good. I have they really are. no interest. The Monsters seek the Monsters Inc. sequel. I had no or prequel. I had no interest in. Onward wrecked my shit. That movie oh. did something. I, I you start out thinking it's one thing, and the end of that movie happened, and I was fucking. I was almost. I was choking back sobs because. They, they do something so beautiful in that movie, which is they take where you think you're going and then fucking totally switch it at the last minute. And you realize what you've been seeing as the character realizes what's going on. And it is such a hard move moment to achieve. Yeah. And it is so you want to talk about earning it. Oh, my God. I was like. Yeah, Kirby and I do this thing where Kirby, my wife, and I do this thing where we'll make a joke. Um, we did this during You're the Worst, which is another show that I think really seamlessly blends humor and really deep emotional content where a joke will happen. And then I'll be like, um, Steven Universe also does this um, where I'll be like, I'm not crying. Are you crying? And I'll look over and she'll just be like sobbing. <laughs> and then she'll just be like, oh, you know, she'll say something to me and she'll look over and I'm just like, I'm fine. I'm okay. Let me put my sunglasses on. Um, but yeah, Onward was fantastic. I, I really, really liked it. It uh, It's about two brothers that are raised by a single mom. Their dad died when they were, when the oldest one was young and the youngest one hadn't yet been born. And their mom is given a lot to do. There's like a whole road trip aspect with, 
with their mom and but it's large it, it's it's real good i don't want to say a lot about it um they basically they go on a road trip to try and save their dad that much is uh is in the trailer but i'm not going to say anything more about it than that i highly recommend it um it, it was really good it was a really good and like uplifting uh movie it's one of the reasons i haven't watched um Precious Gems yet is uh, is that what it's called? Uncut, uncut gems, uncut gems. God damn it! Um, <laughs> I'm thinking of the righteous gemstones. Um, <laughs> That's different. <laughs> that is different. Although I also want to see that because uh, what's his face? But uh, um, I I want to watch uncut gems, but I feel like you know time moves differently in the quar, and I don't like. It seems like the kind of movie where I'm immediately going to need to like talk about it and then maybe also go out and drink heavily so i've been i've been putting that one off but onward i thought did a really good job of like blindsiding you with the message uh but keeping it fun and lighthearted. um and i really appreciated that i think it is hard to do yeah i mean it, it i'll say i watched it uh i watched it too with my kids and yeah that it, it does earn that moment but the one thing that I would ask you, Joe, is if the movie didn't have that, if the movie didn't have that, uh, that moment where it sort of turned your expectation on your head and made it so much more impactful, it would have just been a middling Pixar movie. Abs- I f- f- agree. Agree. Yeah. Strong, strong agree. But it that, does that and that I, makes it to the next level. Yeah. When I realized what was happening, I... I'm like, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it now. Like, it was such a powerful moment. And it really saved it from mediocrity. It yeah. really did. Because I think Inside Out is largely a mediocre movie. And you know what? I I have hot takes about movies. I'm <laughs> totally... I know people really like that movie, and that's cool. Like, I'm... This is just my opinion, you know? I'm also a 42-year-old dude. So what the fuck do I know? But um, I, 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 like onward. If they hadn't, if if they hadn't pulled it off, I I absolutely agree with you. It would have been just the middle of the road. I would have been like, yeah, whatever. Uh, but oh my god, what a just what a beautiful way to do that, and what an unexpected like really wonderful thing it's it was i was really touched by it and i'm not uh, like the other thing i've been watching a lot of is the great british baking show which i highly recommend it's full of these little touching moments um but uh, yeah onward was really i thought uplifting and, and beautiful and it was told really really well that's pretty cool i would i would go and check out uh toy story 3 which I really think is is a masterpiece. I don't know if you've you've heard anything about it, but it has a couple sequences, one of which involving an incinerator, which is one of the most <laughs> it will just break you in that moment. It's it's unspoken about the acceptance of mortality and that's what everybody is, yeah. That's what everybody it's, says. It's it's pretty incredible. I mean, there's a a lot of stuff in a well-done Pixar movie. I think that when they are at the top of their form, they cannot be touched by almost anyone except maybe like Ardman and Miyazaki. Or uh, I think the Leica ones are also by far and large really, really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. But 
there there's a hard it's a hard uh, place to meet them because they were just eating everyone's lunch in the world of animation for like a decade and a half. Yes, and I think sometimes I when we say a middling Pixar movie, we still mean better than most other animated movies, better than most movies, period. Right. <clears throat> yes. And we can be sort of desensitized by how good they have been, because I think Up should have won Best Picture the year that it came out. Oh, Up absolutely. Is, Up is a movie that emotionally, it like it it's like twists me until it wrings every last tear out of me. Uh, that movie is shockingly good, and it, it just... It really, really is. Oh, my I, God. Oh, I will say oh. this. Until Enter the Spider-Verse happened, I think Up was probably my favorite animated movie. And then Enter the Spider-Verse happened, and I was like, oh, well, that's just... That movie is so fucking oh, it's amazing. so good. I, I watched it to death. I saw it twice in the theaters. I, I just that movie is is it's perfect. There is not a yeah. single goddamn thing wrong with it, except that it ends and doesn't take me with it. Like <laughs> seriously, uh, I I um uh, I, I that movie is incredible. But I I would say that I think Onward is probably, and I have a reason for it. But I I'd say that Onward has become my favorite Disney movie, or my favorite oh, wow. Pixar movie. Anyway, it's like um it it dethroned <clears throat> up. Yeah, yeah. And oh, it's, wow. It's largely because there is the. It's because it's largely a story about brothers. And I have a kid brother. And so, like, that, it's, it probably speaks to me a little bit. But uh, I think it does what it does so fucking good. <laughs> like, it's, it's just. I don't know, Mike. I'll be interested to see what you think about it uh, uh, when, okay. you, when you watch it. I do have to to check that out. Um, yeah, I I love a good movie like that. I love when again when when Pixar does it right. No can defense. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. It that those they they can knock me on my ass uh, when they have it in their mind to. And um, I would say definitely check out the later. I like Toy Story Four. I know Casey. I don't think you liked it I, as much as I did. I, I still think that I, they had the same. I still think that after Toy Story, I think Toy Story Two was so incredible in the way that they could have continued the story of those characters. Which honestly, it could have just ended in the first one and been precious and amazing. Um, but mm-hmm. the idea that you take Woody out of the situation because Woody is the leader and he's their hope and their inspiration. Um, even if Buzz slightly Buzz is trying to sort of he's contesting sort of his leadership, when you get to that there's a moment in Toy Story 2 that's about but about uh Woody needing to make a choice. And the choice is all of his friends who are on their way to rescue him from the toy collector, played br- brilliantly by Wayne Knight, um he is talking with uh uh is it Rebecca and Bullseye and Stinky Pete? Is it Rebecca? I'm blanking on the name of Jesse. Jesse, is it yes. Jesse? Jesse, yes. yes. Um, and voiced, they're get- voiced by the uh, great Joan Cusack. Yes, Joan Cusack. He's, oh yeah, that's true. He's in this moment where they've come to get him, and he's been made to realize that these other toys, who have for decades been in a box, have essentially been in worse than the prison in the dark, um, and who are just now. Just now, this is the point when, because he has arrived there, um, they could all go to a museum 
and live for the rest of their days, probably during the days being fawned over by children and at night being able to go and play around with other toys forever. Um, and Woody makes the choice of, has to make the choice of being like, well, do I, do I, I leave the person who I love the most in the world, which is Andy? Um, because he's got plenty of other toys and he'll grow up. Um, and just to help these mm-hmm. people who are great people. Um, and that pivot was so incredible that I think they end up doing that same thing every single time, which is, do we break up the, we got to break up the band. Oh, we got to make a choice. You know, I think they just are end up redoing the same, that same cycle. And Toy Story 2 did it really, really well. I'd put, I'd put no sequels except for James Cameron and Toy Story 2 in our, our in our sort of oh. list because I I think it works and I think that the uh, that three and four are great but I just I think that they're rehashing that same really great moment in two. Uh, what I what I love about Toy Story two and I was I think I made this analogy to you before, but it was a a moral quandary that Woody has that he could functionally live forever in a case and never be touched or played with. Um, essentially, he'd be functionally immortal. Uh, or he could live a life that's fuller and has more life in it and probably get worn out and thrown away at some point. And I was like, this is a vampire movie. <laughs> this is the Lost Boys. Um, that's, that's fair. And that old prospector voiced by Kelsey Grammer is basically Kiefer Sutherland. <laughs> but... I, I kind of love that, but the there is a kind of moral quandary that these characters have. And what I love about the Toy Story movies is that there is a, a, a story about a character who wants to get back to his friends, to kids, but to adults, there's this strangely mature story happening. Like in Toy Story 3, it's a question of there's a time where things are over. And that this thing that you had, like this kid is going to throw you in a box and the only way you can get more life, so to speak, um, fucker, is to um, be given to a new kid. Um, And even in the fourth one, what I love about the moral quandary of Toy Story 4 is that uh, this new little girl that, that Woody belongs to uh, he's not the favorite toy anymore, and he hasn't been for a long time. And it's him dealing with the fact that he's a toy that gets left in the closet when playtime happens, and him desperately sort of needing a purpose. So when Forky, who I think is actually a pretty brilliant uh, creation, that he's garbage that has become alive because he's a toy and is living in sort of a near existential dread because he just wants to go in the trash as intended. <laughs> um he doesn't want to be alive, which is really fucking weird for a kid's movie. Um, that Woody's whole uh, desperate need to help this little girl by forcing Forky to be a toy and trying to make him be a toy and going to these great lengths. For, it's, it's In one hand, it's him trying to deny that he's kind of an unwanted toy by giving himself a purpose and him sort of accepting that his time is over and that now he gets to make his own life, that he gets to decide for himself what he does. And I kind of like that. It's a, it's a weird... There really is no way to do another Toy Story movie if you're going to have Tom Hanks in it now. And yeah. I'm fine with that. You know, I, it's just a it's a good ending. Um, I 
I really like Toy Story 4 quite a bit, and not just because those scenes where the, I think it's like a stuffed hedgehog played by Jeff Garland, and every one of his elaborate plans involves getting the little girl's dad arrested, <laughs> yeah. and when the cops pull over the RV, he's just like so fucking thrilled. He's like... <laughs> like <laughs> He just wants the dad to go to jail as part of a plan, and it's just so fucking weird. I love That's it. That's hilarious. Radio vs. the Martians is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Valverde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Doran, and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music is written and performed by James Wetzel. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And you can always find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. Check this out. Scott. Scott. Scott, put that!